The Lord says, Just as when I walked into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers, I want to overturn the tables in your life. These are the things that have been established in you, by you, that distract you away from my presence that I want filling you, my temple. You must be willing for this overturning to take place. You must be willing to let this happen, no matter how uncomfortable it may seem. And remember, when I overturned those tables in the temple, the money went flying everywhere. And there were those who actually lost money because they did not gather up everything that had flown off their tables. In the same way, when I overturn the tables in your life, there are things that you are going to lose, but there are things that you don't need. For only those things that you truly need will I stand in agreement with as far as them being in your life. You must be willing to allow those things that occupy a place in your spirit that they don't deserve to be removed. I'll do this in you, with you, to bring about change. For you see, from that day forward, after I had turned over those tables of the money changers, they never forgot what happened. Likewise with you, if you let me work with you to overturn the tables in your life that need to be turned over, you will remember the change that has taken place. So let me work in you. Let me help you to bring this about. Do not continue to hold on to anything that comes between you and me. Let this happen. Let these tables be overturned. And you will experience more of me in your life, says the Lord. Would you please turn to Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter 16. I want you to get there and then something I'm going to share before we get into Matthew chapter 16. Give you a moment to find it. Matthew 16. Glory to God. I received an email the other day, and I'm going to read it to you exactly as it was sent to me. I'm, I'm changing nothing. I do not know who sent it. I do not know if it was a man or a woman, old, young, or somewhere in between. I don't know. But the email was sent to our website, the contact us form there. And 
it was written as though the person wasn't sure that I would get the email. Uh, as though uh, somebody else would read it and reply or, or whatever. I don't know. Maybe they didn't think it would be sent to me. I'm not sure. But I, like, I said, like I said, I don't know who sent this. Here it is. Please. Why does Jim keep talking about revival and the word isn't even in the Bible? The only people that are being revived is the wicked. He's off the rail. As the Holy Spirit will not talk about revival. It's not in the canon of Scripture. We are supposed to be rightly dividing the Word of God. Now, that's the email I received. Now, um, I'm guessing that whoever sent this is very new to this ministry and has just started listening maybe within the last, I don't know, couple of months or so, two months, three months, maybe, I don't know. But this did not come from somebody who has been listening to these sermons for several years. Because when it comes to revival... I have taught on, um, I may well have taught on praise and worship as much or more than anything else. Revival might be second to that. Obviously, praying in tongues would be like maybe at the very top of the list, but revival, you know, might be right underneath there as far as what I've taught on. So I've covered so much about this. And what's brought up in this, um, this email, I've dealt with it already in sermons. But it is true that the word revival is not in Scripture. I mean, just look it up. You know, thank God for computers. Nowadays, you can open up Bible software, type in a word to see if it's somewhere in Scripture. But the word revival is not in Scripture. But neither is the word homosexual. It's nowhere in the Bible. However, that behavior is identified and tactfully described in Scripture. So, when we use the term homosexual, we're making reference to those Scriptures that speak of it. And yet that word, it is not in Scripture, just like revival is not in Scripture. If using the word revival in a sermon and teaching about it, as I have, if doing that is doctrinally wrong, if using the word revival in a sermon is doctrinally wrong, then wouldn't using the word homosexual in a sermon be just as doctrinally wrong? I'm not trying to be contentious. I'm being very serious here. Wouldn't it be just as doctrinally wrong? But what about the phrase Sunday school? That's not in the Bible. And yet the concept of what is done in Sunday school is clearly identified and spoken of in Scripture. 
But then, um, what about the phrase slain in the spirit? That's not in the Bible. But yet it's a term that we've used, that many churches use, that many preachers use. That term, slain in the spirit, though it does not exist, that particular event in a person's life is revealed both in the Old and the New Testament. So then, wouldn't I be in doctrinal and canonical error by teaching about Sunday school and slain in the Spirit? You follow what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm, because I understand the word revival is not in there. So somebody could say, well, why do you teach about something that's not in the Bible? Well, the revival that I and many other pastors talk about is clearly described in the New Testament and it is prophetically referenced and described in the Old Testament. It involves both the lost and Christians who have drifted away from the Lord. One verse has popped up in my mind where it talks about um, that the Lord's not willing for any to perish, and all, but all to come to repentance. Go back and study that out. He's talking. He's not talking about the lost there. He's talking about Christians who who have backslidden. And by the way, the word backslidden is in the Bible. I looked it up. <laughs> but this thing of revival. It's clearly described in the New Testament and prophetically referenced and described in the Old Testament. It involves both the lost and Christians who have drifted away from the Lord. It is also a reflection of the moving of the Holy Spirit as revealed in the New Testament. And I've taught on all of this more than once over the years. I have two, uh, two teaching series at the website. It can be downloaded for free. And then, if you go through the website, there are many, many non-series sermons about revival. Revival, that word's in the title. And all of those sermons, in a way, all of them could be lumped together in one great big series, if you wanted to call it that. But... If I'm off the rail, if the Holy Spirit is not talking about revival, if the concept of revival is not in the canon of Scripture, and if I am not rightly dividing the Word of God, why are you watching our services? Why are you listening to me? Furthermore, If this is truly a high-priority concern of yours, should you not be sending the same email to other pastors who are teaching about revival? I mean, Maybe you have, I don't know. And again, if you happen to be watching this, honestly, I am not trying to stir things up. And I'm not trying to be mean or insulting. But the question that you're bringing up it, it really is not a valid question concerning how we speak today. 
and the fact that I already brought up two terms, you know, Sunday school and uh, the, uh, well, Sunday school and slain in the spirit, you know. But then to kind of go off on a variation on the theme, you do realize the word dinosaur is not in the Bible. But yet we believe in dinosaurs. And we could go on and on with a list of terms that may be used in sermons from time to time or even taught on as subjects, but yet those specific words or wordings are not in Scripture. Does that make it wrong? No. Not if the concept is identified in Scripture. So the word revival, it's just a a shortened way of saying the latter-day outpouring, outpouring of the greater glory of God upon civilization to draw people to Jesus Christ and produce healings and miracles and deliverance and discipleship. Okay. So again, please, you know, don't be offended. But when it comes to to questions like this, um, you know, kind of think them out a little bit more. You know. Um, and pray about it. Really, pray about it. And then also, if you have more questions about what I've taught on revival, like I said, there are a lot of sermons at our website. Now, if you decide to send more emails, you need to understand this. I will not get into a debate with you. I'm not. I will not go back and forth with emails. I won't. You've heard my reply. That's it. And if you do want to send more emails and they're argumentative, you need to understand I will just delete them. I, I'm not going to respond. And again, I don't, I'm not trying to be mean to you, whoever you are, but this is a trap and I'm not taking the bait. Because if I do, and I get into this, going back and forth, it's just going to steal my time. So please, again, I mean, you, you may have shut me off already and not be hearing any of this. But I'm not trying to be mean. I'm really not. I'm just trying to bring clarity to this. Because, quite honestly, there might be a lot of people that are saying, well, the word revival is not in the Bible. And it's not. But again, if you've listened to the teachings about this, it is described in the Old Testament, prophetically, and then we see examples in the New Testament. It's just a word that we're using to describe these things. That's all. So anyway, I hope that kind of um, helps out with that. And all this that I've just been talking about, it is going to be on the MP3 of the sermon, because who knows might who's going to listen what have you. But as far as, um, you know, another, well... There are some people who still don't believe that there's going to be a, an end-time revival. But I've taught on that too. And it's happening. I mean, it, it's taking place now. It's in the infancy. And like I shared before, uh, in years past, the revival, it's not going to be like another Brownsville or another Azusa Street. In other words, just located in one place. It's, going to, it's happening all over the world. And glory to God for it. Because quite frankly, that makes it a whole lot more difficult for Satan to get involved and stop it. 
You know, let him worry for a while. <laughs> All righty. Um, so if anybody asks you that question, you know, why does he keep talking? I, well, point them to this sermon and just have them listen to this. And really, you should be able to take what I've said and use it yourself in a way that is not combative, but share in love. All right. Now let's take a look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Who is he speaking to? Well, if you back up in this, Jesus had asked the question, Who do people say I am? And the apostles were saying, Well, some this and some say that, and so on and so forth. And Peter said, Well, yeah, but you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee. Unto thee who? Unto thee Peter? Or unto thee church? I will give unto thee the church that I have built. I will give unto the church the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be loosed, shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I, I taught on this before. I'm not going to go back and reteach the whole sermon. But this has been mistaught a lot over the years. And so people read this, uh, verse 19, and they skip the first part and go straight to the binding and loosing. And they go around binding everything they don't like and loosing everything they do. But see, you have to get the first part of the verse before the second part becomes operative in your life. And that is this. He will give unto us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. By using those keys, whatever we bind on earth will be bound, shall be bound in heaven, and whatever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Another way to say that would be this. When you are using the keys to the kingdom, then those things that you bind will be bound with the keys to the kingdom. Meaning, whatever you're now binding is what I, God, in heaven have already declared as being bound. And whatever you loose, it's what I, God, in heaven have already said is loosed. So God, in, think of it like this, just briefly. God in heaven has said, by His stripes you were healed. So therefore, healing has been loosed. See that? It doesn't have to be re-loosed. It's loosed. It's healing. Okay, I'm just trying to create an imagery here, okay? I, healing's in this room. It's floating around. Okay? When we use the keys to the kingdom, we unlock healing into our lives. Get that? Now, that's just a simple way to explain this. So, if you're not utilizing the keys, then all of the binding and loosing, well, you might be binding something that you can't bind. Or you might loose something that 
You can't lose. You know, you, you, you have to use these keys. Now, let me share a story with you. I shared this, it's been a few years ago. But there was a church here in Ohio, uh, part of the Assemblies of God. And this church was in bad, bad shape. Well, the superintendent contacted a particular man who had pastoral experience, said, I want to send you to that church. The man said, well, um, okay, but tell me about it. The superintendent said, well, before you go, you need to understand. There have been all these problems. I mean, it's just been one thing after the other. Last board meeting they have, a fist fight broke out. Now, it's true. True. This pastor said, uh, well, okay, I'll go. I'll go. I mean, he prayed about it, but he said, I'll go. So he went, and the church was only running about 20 people at that time. Well, the pastor, this new pastor came in, and he arrived there in June of 1981. And when he got there, he began teaching on praise and worship. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, he's teaching about praise and worship. Over and over and over again. Well, at first, it was just that pastor, his wife, and two daughters, they're like the only ones who are worshiping. And I don't mean just simply singing the songs or whatever, but the free worship, that spontaneous, I love you, Jesus, I glorify your name, I worship you, Lord. That, That kind of worship. A pastor's wife and, and two daughters are like the only ones doing this. But he, he didn't let it get him down. And he kept teaching, kept teaching, and they kept doing and kept doing. Well, the people began to do this. They began to worship the Lord, began to get on board with this. They began, as he was teaching and they understood more about it, they started doing it. And the church began to grow and grow and grow. Well, the pastor decided, um, he talked to the people and said, you know, I, I think we need to change the name of the church from, you know, the First Assembly of God to Praise Temple. Now, they weren't leaving the denomination. They were just changing the name. So the pastor met with the uh, superintendent of the denomination and said, uh, here's what we're thinking of doing. The superintendent wasn't too big on that, you know, in a, in a denomination, they like to have the name of the denomination in the name of the church. That's just the way it is. But anyway, the superintendent wasn't too big on it. And the superintendent said, well, you know, we've heard that your church is growing. You know, the numbers. Because when you're in a denomination, you're supposed to turn in numbers. Like once a month to let them know what's going on in your church. He said, yeah, the church has been growing. Uh, but what have you been doing to get the church to grow? The pastor said, well, we've just been praising, worshiping. And the superintendent wanted to know what programs have you implemented to get the church to grow. The pastor said, well, we haven't implemented anything. We're, we're just praising the Lord, just worshiping. And the superintendent was severely challenged to accept that. He thought the pastor was hiding something or, or lying or not being, you know, you're going door to door, right? You're going, you know, out on the street corners. You're doing, and, and the pastor said, no, no, we're not. All we're doing is praising God. We're not doing anything to go out into the community. We're just praising and worshiping the Lord. The church is growing. 
And finally, the pastor could see that the superintendent was being super challenged in this. So he said, look, why don't you just stop in some Sunday? Just show up. You don't have to tell me you're coming. You know, Just show up. Well, sure enough, one Sunday morning, that superintendent showed up and um, sat on the front row. Well, the pastor, the praise team, the congregation, they began worshiping. And by now, I mean, this is several months later after the pastor, the new pastor had come in. Man, the people were really getting into it. And the congregation, they, they were just really worshiping and praising and praising and worshiping. And, uh, when the pastor finally came up to the, the pulpit, he looked down and he saw the superintendent. And he, he said the superintendent looked kind of pale. Like something was happening. And so he asked him, you know, what's happened? You know, would you like to tell the folks what's going on? So the superintendent came up and he said, as I was sitting there and you were worshiping, all of a sudden I had a vision. And in this vision, I was in this large auditorium sitting on the front row and the praise team, your praise team and you, the congregation, you were the only ones up on the stage. And you were worshiping. And I turned and looked around me. And there was nobody else in the auditorium. But then I noticed there was a balcony. And I looked up in the balcony, but I couldn't see anybody up there at all. No one. But then I saw that there was a, another balcony. And I looked up. And as I looked, I saw one person up there in that second balcony. And I realized it was God. And God was up there in the second balcony, standing up with his hands raised up, crying out, more, 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 more. And the superintendent said, I finally realize what you folks are doing here in this church. I finally understand what it is that's causing this church to grow. That church eventually got up to like 300 people. Now, what am I saying? Praise and worship is a key. It absolutely is a key to everything. Everything. And what that church did, as they began to enter into praise and worship, began to capture what it does and apply it to their lives, they were using that key and loosing into their lives and into that church what God had already loosed concerning praise and worship. They tapped into that. Now, that truth applies to us as well. We're supposed to be those praisers and worshipers. And let's just be honest, um, some are more so than others. And this is not about criticizing. This is simply about, do you realize that praise and worship is a key? This is a kingdom key. Look over in John chapter 4. You know, one of the things that's crossed my mind, and I cannot say that this is a definite, But one of the things that crossed my mind is this. 
Is it possible this church has not grown because as a congregation we haven't praised and worshipped God the way that we should? Especially after everything that I've taught about it and shown you from Scripture. To whom much is given, much is required. That's the Word of God. And all too often flesh, emotions, become the dictator over our praise and worship. And we bow the knee to self more than to God. Well, praise and worship is a kingdom key. Not just within the confines of a church building, but also for your life. And some people might say, well, you know, I don't really believe all that. You know, praise and worship. I just, you know, I've done that before. I don't think it works the way you say. You know, honestly, you, you can come at me with that all you want. But I have a boatload of Scripture in the Word of God that says differently. And God cannot lie. That means this works. It is a key. It is a kingdom key. In John chapter 4, what's happened is... Um, well, Jesus and uh, the disciples, they ended up in a city of Samaria called Sychar. And it's where Jacob had uh, dug a well. And Jesus was tired. He's sitting there at the well. And in verse 7 it says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Where his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. You know, sometimes I think we lose perspective of who it is we're worshiping. Well, anyway, verse 11, The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Well, obviously she didn't understand what he was talking about because she's thinking, you know, give me some of this water, I can drink it and I won't be thirsty again. And, and again, as far as praise and worship is concerned, I don't think we understand it is not simply an exercise that's supposed to take place in church. It's not like, you know, vocal aerobics where we come in and we do this. There's a reason for it. There is, there is a divine, holy, anointed pur purpose for it. Praise and worship, guys, is anointed. Not just because I said so, but because when you read Scripture... You understand his praise that God has placed an anointing on praise and worship. When we do it, and I don't mean just the performance part. I'm talking about from the heart. When we do it, we are tapping into that anointing. 
Well, a lot of people that say, oh, I just wish I had a greater anointing. I just, one of the things you can do is praise God. Worship the Lord. Because there is an anointing on praise and worship. He inhabits it. So, if He's the source of the anointing and He inhabits praise and worship, guess what? <laughs> it's there. Well, Jesus says unto her, verse 16, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. Now let me just toss something out to you. You know, if you got stuff going on in your life, shouldn't be there. You are really taking a risk that God is going to reveal it to someone and it will be spoken out loud. So you might want to give some thought to what's going on in your life. Well, the woman, verse 19, looks unto him and says, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Jesus says, How didst thou know? <laughs> Well, she says in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me. Now, now nowadays, when <laughs> I got a kick out of this. You know, nowadays, if you say that, like, Woman, well, it's kind of like a, a I don't know, like an in-your-face kind of a thing. Well, back then, it was a term of respect. That's just when Jesus was talking to his his mother. Remember that? The water to wine thing? And uh, she says, they don't have any wine. And she says, woman, what have I to do with thee? (laughs) Yeah. Well, in our English, that doesn't come across too good. (laughs) But nevertheless, verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So what you have here is this whole scenario... And once she finds out that Jesus is a prophet, the whole conversation shifts from water to worship. In fact, she's no longer focusing on, I am a woman of Samaria. You know, now this is totally redirected. And I'm not going to get into all the historical background on this. Just briefly, the Samaritans thought that where they lived was supposed to be key to the coming of the Messiah. All right, Now, that's just the short version of it. Because she says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said, well, yeah, you know, it's true. But, you know, the time's coming when... The kind of worship you're talking about is not going to take place in Samaria. Now get this. And it's not going to take place in Jerusalem. 
Now, you meditate on that, and you're going to you're going to come to a revelation that'll get you in a whole lot of trouble if you talk to some messianic Jews. What does the Savior say? The the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ. He says that neither this mountain in Samaria nor Jerusalem is the key to worshiping God. He says, you're not going to do... In other words, when he says you're not going to do that, what he's saying is, you've got to get your eyes off the natural and onto what God is doing in the Spirit. And he says, the time has come. I'm paraphrasing. The time has come. You know, here I am. I'm the, the Messiah. I can give you this living water. The time has come where this change is going to take place. And the true worshipers, they're the ones who are going to worship Father God in spirit and in truth because the Father seeketh such to worship Him. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. Now, this is very important because it ties us into this kingdom key of worship. He says that the Father is looking for those who will worship Him. He is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Well, what this means is being born again only qualifies you to be what God is seeking and to give Him what He is seeking. Being born again only qualifies you for this. It's not until you become a worshiper that you have become what God is seeking. It's it's only when you have become a worshiper that you are now giving Him what He is seeking. That's it. It's only when you're a worshiper. You have Christians out there that are uh, caught up in this... um, well, frustration in life. I just wish I knew what God wanted. I just wish I knew what He wants of me. God, what do you want? Here you go. Here you go. This is the key. Worship. Give it to Him. Worship from the heart. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. For, for Jesus to say this, He's passing along an instruction to the church Concerning what is necessary to have an interaction with God that otherwise is impossible. He's not talking here about prayer or fasting or the Word. He's talking about worship. So when he says, the Father seeking people who do this, and now that you're born again, you have the opportunity to give Him what He's seeking, then doesn't it stand a reason that praise and worship is a key to unlocking what you can receive from God? Absolutely. Because if He's seeking it and you give Him what He's looking for, don't you think He'll respond? Absolutely. And this is part of what happened up there at that church that um, that went through this transition that I explained. Uh, they... They gave God what He was looking for. 
Now, I don't know that 100% of all the people were worshiping. But I do know this. There was at least a, a major majority of people that caught on to this and were worshiping God. And then God began to move in their midst. And that church began to grow. When we talk about revival, it has to incorporate worship. Look over in Exodus 28. Exodus 28. Now here in Exodus 28, just read the the very first verse. God is talking to Moses and he says, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. So he says, okay, I want you to, to take Aaron and his sons and separate them out from the, the rest of the people because what I want to do is establish them as the priesthood. Well, if you look over in chapter 29, verse 1. And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them, to hallow them, to minister unto me in the priest's office. And then he starts going through all these different um, sacrifices and offerings and things that they were supposed to do. But if you jump over to verse 38, look at this. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, and the other lamb thou shalt offer at even. So, in the morning and in the evening, every day, a lamb had to be offered in sacrifice. Every, you start the day off with sacrificing the lamb. You close the day by sacrificing the other lamb. And he says, this is to be done continually. Verse 40. And with the one lamb, a tenth deal of flour mingled with the fourth part of a hen of beaten oil and the fourth part of a hen of wine for a drink offering. And the other lamb thou shalt offer it even and shalt do thereto according to the meat offering of the morning and according to the drink offering thereof for a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You see this? Now, he's saying, here's what the priests are supposed to do. And because he says it's supposed to be every morning and every evening, Continually, that means this commandment, this instruction for the sacrifice, it outlived Aaron and his sons. It was supposed to continue on. And he says, every day you are to offer this sacrifice. Well, one of the things that he mentioned here as as, um, a result 
of this, uh, these sacrifices. He said that he would meet with them. He said the tabernacle would be filled with glory. He said he would dwell with them. And he said they would know him. All as a result of what these priests were doing. I'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth unto the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now look in chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. Now, what we see is a shift in the way God interacted with with humans. Under the law, He said you have to sacrifice animals, shed their blood for your sin. But through Jesus Christ, He became the final sacrifice for sin. Do you understand that? He became the final sacrifice for sin. So when it comes to offering something for what we've done wrong, our sins, it's already been offered. The blood has already been shed. You cannot offer anything else as a substitute. It's over and done with. But then if you look over in chapter 13. See, Revelation, you don't have to turn to this, but Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, and chapter 5, verse 10, reveal to us that from God's perspective, we now are kings and priests unto Him. And continued reading in Hebrews, you'd see there's a new priesthood where Jesus Christ is the high priest. We are priests unto God through Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it's talking here about Jesus. Well, in fact, go to verse 12. Wherefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. For here we have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By Him, Jesus, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. See that? Well, what was the instruction as far as uh, what we read back over there in Exodus? That every day the priest, every single day, the priests were to offer a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. And God said, this is something that you are to do continually. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. 
who was not his son by virtue of the law, because he was made of a woman living under the law, and his son Jesus became the living sacrifice and the one who established the new covenant. And now we are priests unto God through Jesus Christ. However, there's no more requirement to shed the blood of the animals. And yet, what that represented unto us still holds true today. Because he says here that we are to offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto His name. We're the priests who are supposed to be offering up the sacrifice of praise. You see this? And he says continually. Listen to this. You can look these up later. I'll just read them to you right now. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's prophetic relative to this verse. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Because it's the sacrifice that those in the kingdom are now supposed to be offering. We don't kill the animals, but the sacrifice we offer is the sacrifice of praise. You say, well, why in the world is it called a sacrifice? That's because this. <coughs> if you're going to do it, you have to mortify the flesh for the sacrifice to come out. Just like you had to kill the animal for the blood to come out, you've got to mortify your flesh for the praise to come out. Because the flesh has times of not wanting to do anything. The flesh has times of not wanting to praise. Not wanting to worship. And that's evident at times in here. Where people come, but they just don't do it. That's because they're letting the flesh dominate the praise. And when it's a sacrifice, you sacrifice that fleshly emotion on the altar of praise. And then you let it come out. Listen, uh, Psalm 61, verse 8. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Psalm 71, verse 8. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. So what we're seeing then is a pattern. Day after day after day. A kingdom key is praising God all day long. Not literally... You know what I'm talking about. It's every day a sacrifice that you have to offer up. But I don't feel like it today. It's been a lousy day. Things have been going wrong at work, wrong at home, wrong here, wrong. Everything's going wrong. God says, okay, and? <laughs> that It's not your flesh that's supposed to be praising me. They that worship me, worship me in spirit and in truth. If you're born again, your spirit's supposed to be dominating that stuff. And I, there are times in my own life when I've gone through whatever, and I tell you, I didn't feel like praising. I was all upset. Didn't feel like worshiping. Didn't feel like doing anything. But I did it. I forced myself to do it. Well, that's being a hypocrite. No, it's not. It's being obedient. The sacrifice. I'm sacrificing my flesh so that I can praise the Lord the way He wants. Give Him what He's seeking. And there are times when I've done that. When I just, you know, there's times I just wasn't 
Wasn't in the mood. But His promise came to pass. He met with me. He spoke with me. My tabernacle was filled with His glory. You understand the imagery here? Because I made that decision to praise Him. In Psalm 72, verses 12-15, through 15, For He shall deliver the needy when He crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy, and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious, precious shall their blood be in His sight. And He shall live, and to Him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for Him continually, and daily shall He be praised. Daily shall He be praised. Now, how many of us, you know, don't respond, but how many of us are doing this? How many of us are offering the daily sacrifice of praise? How many of us are actually participating in this? But see, this is what God's looking for. This is what He is seeking. And the type and shadow is revealed there in the Old Testament. This is an expectation that God has for us. It's what He's looking for. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in fact, go ahead and turn over there. 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, some people hearing this, this is just reinforcing to you what you're already doing. For those who are hearing this, you've heard it before, it's a reminder of what you've heard in the past. For those hearing this for the first time, you just received a key to the kingdom. Look here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Remember what God said back there in Exodus 38. He said, you offer that lamb in the morning and the lamb at night And one of the things that's going to happen is it will serve to be as a reminder to the people that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt. Here we see that we're supposed to be showing forth the praises of Him who's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now in this, He's revealing what we are, who we are, and what we're called to do. This phrase should show forth. It comes from the Greek word exagelo, which is a compound word, ek meaning out, and agelo, to tell or to declare. It means to declare abroad, to make widely known. In other words, you open your mouth and you let it go. And the word praises, in this, where he says, uh, to show forth the praises of him, this word praises comes from the Greek word arete. And it means the glory, excellency, perfection, goodness, and superiority of God. The virtues as a force or energy of the Holy Spirit accompanying the preaching of the gospel. Now, let me kind of read this definition into this verse, into this setting. Now, this is speaking to Christians. You know that. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should openly tell, declare, and make widely known the glory, excellency, perfection, goodness, and superiority of God through speaking or singing, including 
speaking or singing by the virtue of the force or energy of the Holy Spirit within you. For example, in tongues. For God is the one who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's us, guys. This is us. Now, we really have no excuse for not doing this. None at all. And I'm not saying anybody here isn't doing it, but I will tell you this. Last night, as I was, you know, praying about this morning, and I thought, you know, okay, well, I'll teach on this. And I started to work on it. It's like, nah, I don't think so. Well, then I started to work on something else. And I got about, I don't know, four or five words out. <laughs> One scripture, I don't know. And it's like, no. And then I stopped and I said, God, I'm just not feeling this. <laughs> what do you want me to teach on? He said, teach on praise. Teach on praise. I said, alright. Now, you might wonder, why is it that over all these years, you've taught so much on praise and worship? Well, I have an answer. It may only be a partial answer. But I can give it to you. And that is because we need it. He's trying to drive home a point. He's trying. Okay, let me say it another way here. All right. And and I agree. This may sound a little self-serving. I don't mean it to be that way. But in me, he has found a pastor who understands this concept of praise and worship more than most pastors. And he knows that he can get these messages through me to the people. And I mean it. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? Because with praise and worship being such a valuable key to the kingdom, and we see the type and shadow in the Old Testament, and then here we are sacrificing not just animals, but our flesh to let that praise come out. There are a lot of pastors out there, they don't get this. In fact, there are a lot of pastors out there that would shut it down if the church started doing it. There are a lot of pastors that just don't get it. But when God... See, Jesus said, God is a spirit and He's looking for those who worship Him in in spirit and in truth. Okay, now, what that means is, if He finds a pastor in a church who understands this, then God can continue to give revelation about it so that it knows that pastor is going to turn around and pass it on to the people. Because if this is what He's looking for, He wants the people to know about it. (laughs) And He wants the people to do it. That's us. Do you realize it's possible we might be the only church within 10 miles that understands these things? I'm not saying we are, okay? I'm not. But you don't know. I don't know what's going on in a bunch of other churches. You know, I'm I'm here. (laughs) I know what's going on here. So I can't say one way or the other. But what I can say is this. There obviously is something about praise and worship that God wants us to, to, to get this and to do it. And apparently, we need to do it, how can I say it, more enthusiastically, meaning more focused from the heart, because He knows what will happen if we do. You know that church here in Ohio I shared earlier, 
went from 20 people to like 300. Am I saying we're going to go to 300? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this. Worship is a key. They unlocked a move of God through their worship at that church. Now, the same thing is true for us. How that move of God manifests, totally up to Him. We are just supposed to do our part in this praise and worship. Now, I'm going to read to you a prophecy. Some of you may have seen this. It did not come forth here. It came forth from someone else, I believe, who attends the prayer center in Tulsa. It says, change is coming in gatherings. Well, what does that mean, change is coming in gatherings? Okay, here we are, right? Gatherings. I will be stretching all, everybody. For the order that has been in place is changing in every gathering concerning my army. Have we not seen that in some of our services? You know, a a change in the way things have been done. And, And that's okay. The stretching is simply... The change that is working as waiting upon me and following my spirit come to a new level. It is one thing to follow my leading individually. It is another to follow me individually in a group setting for all who are gathered. And this is one of the things that I've emphasized how that, yeah, you can be worshiping at home, but there's something else about the dynamic of worshiping together as a congregation. He said, those who come to have their needs met and do not participate in what I'm doing, will especially be stretched in order to stay through what I'm doing. But what I am doing is necessary for my army. Okay, what in the world does that mean? What it means, if you show up and you're seeking God to have your needs met, it doesn't matter, just needs, whatever they are. But, you don't participate in what's happening. Everybody's worshiping and you're just kind of there. If you don't participate, then it's going to be more difficult for you to sit through it. I wish I'd hurry up. Come on, God, I just, just move in my life. Okay, God? God's saying, hey, worship me. <laughs> and I will. My glory will fill your tabernacle. You'll know me. I'm here. What do you think all these other people are doing? I'm here. And it's going to be a stretch. It's kind of like, you know, when you're lifting weights, when you first start trying to bench press 100 pounds, it's like, oh, 100 pounds, oh, 100 pounds. Well, then you get to the point, eh, 100 pounds. Well, you've got to be stretched. Let's slap another 20 pounds on there. Oh, 120. Oh, 120. Pretty soon. Oh, 120. Woo-hoo. <laughs> well, we slap another 20 on there. and You get stretched. And that's what God is talking about here. He says, change is coming and my army knows this. Well, haven't we been talking about that a lot here? Change is coming and my army knows this. Some have an impatience with what is. And what they know will be. That impatience as in, why don't you just hurry up and move, God? You know, it's lunchtime. Why don't you just hurry up and move, God? I, I'm busy. I've got things to do. Well, he says, but cast aside the impatience. 
and be mindful that I know what I am doing. I am using many things as the purging process. Allow me to bring forth purging in whatever means I choose. Let happen. Um, this whole thing of the purging, it's interesting how that when we talk about this, we can examine our lives and we can come up with a list of things. It's like, you know, yeah, I could get rid of that. And, and I could get rid of that. And this one here, yeah, I get rid of that too. The stuff that we're okay getting rid of. But then there are other things that show up on God's list. <laughs> and he's saying, okay, I appreciate you being willing to give up that stuff, but here, take a look at this. And you're saying, ooh, God, where'd you get that? that <laughs> God, you, no, 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 uh-uh. Can't do that. Well, this is what he's talking about here. He says... Um, Gatherings are changing. I'm not critical of where each one has been and how my gatherings operate as if you are late getting to this place in me. You are on time. Now, let me explain that. See, every one of us knows we could be further along in God than where we are. And God wants to move in our lives. He wants to move in this church. However, He can only move relative to where we are in Him. And so He wants us to change, but He wants us also as a congregation to be changed. He moves at our level. I hope that makes sense to you. He moves at our level, and as we grow, He can move more. Well, He said, um, you are on time. There has been much to be learned, much to be gained, and much to let go of as you increase in me. Waiting on me is vital. Learning to flow with me individually in the corporate setting, for many will be coming to gatherings in the days ahead, and my army must be prepared to not be moved by anything except my leadings. That sounds kind of simple. But when more people come in, it can be very easy to sit down and plan out what we have to do next. And God is saying, no, don't do that. Let me lead. You don't need to, to, to go into a, a building fund program to build an addition onto your house unless I tell you to. Because for all we know, He's got another building somewhere else that he has people working on and they're getting it ready for us and they don't even know it. Do you follow what I mean? That's why we have to, you know, his leading. He said, my army must be prepared to not be moved by anything except my leadings. Flow with me. Worship is key in flowing with me and learning to progress in me. Worship is key. Those who take time with me are learning to follow me in the day, in these days you are in. Not just individually, but corporately. It is change that I am bringing. Keen eyes, keen ears, a keen heart are being shaped by my hands by those who are turning themselves over to me. 
The gatherings are changing and it is my doing. Stay in the flow with me, for I am the one who is bringing about the changes of which I speak. Flow with me. If we're not worshiping and giving Him what He's seeking, it's really hard for us to flow with Him. You know, we sing songs about, you know, the river of God. Well, one of the ways to get in that river is to worship. Out of your belly shall flow. Out of your belly shall flow. We worship the belly. It begins, that, that flowing begins to take place. And it's very important for us to understand this. Now, the impatience, it comes. There are times during a service, let's face it, our emotions are saying, I'm tired of this. Our emotions are saying, I mean, you, you see me every now and then I stand, then I sit a little, then I stand a little. And it's not because I'm being impatient. It's just I'm getting a little tired, so I sit down and, you know, recharge the legs and get back up. Whether you like it or not, I mean, for you as a person, worshiping is a key. You know, I was thinking about this right before I came up, and I thought, you know, I guess maybe there is one benefit to turning out all the sanctuary lights during praise and worship. That way you can feel like nobody's listening to you. You know what I'm saying? Now, don't get me wrong, we're not going to turn the lights out. But, um, you know, you don't want to have cockroach worship. You say, what's cockroach worship? When the lights are out, it's there. Turn on the lights, it scurries away. Now, you want worship that's whether the... Whether the lights are on, the lights are off, it doesn't matter. Jesus, I praise you. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I praise your name. I've given you a key this day that if you use, it will change your life permanently. Too many in my church have devalued praise and worship and not really understood what I've revealed in my word. And the truth is, My son was the only one on earth who has ever really understood what happens when you praise me and worship me. But you can come to a place of understanding this greater than you've ever understood it in the past. And I say to you, do not neglect the opportunities to praise me and to worship me. I am seeking for it. You say that you are seeking for me. I am seeking for that praise and that worship. If you will give me what I seek, I will inhabit the place where you are. And I will move in might and glory and power to bring about my will. So worship me. Praise me. Release it from your heart. Don't even think about the people who are around you You're not worshiping them. You're worshiping me. I will move, says the Lord.